Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of transfusion from the HEME section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 36-year-old woman presents to the ED from a motor vehicle accident where she was hit by a drunk driver. She has several scrapes and discolorations on her right arm, leg, and flank, but no massive external bleeding. However, she appears obtunded. Her Glasgow Coma Scale score is 10. Her blood pressure is 85 over 50 millimeters of mercury, pulses 100 per minute, and has an oxygen saturation of 94% on 2 liters. After 2 liters of IV normal saline boluses, the patient's vital signs have not changed. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick overview of transfusion, red blood cells, platelets, and coagulation factors, that is fresh frozen plasma, cryoprecipitate, and factor concentrate, can be transfused. Donated blood is separated into various components. Whole blood is centrifuged into red blood cells and platelet-rich plasma. Platelet-rich plasma is further separated into platelets and plasma. Fresh frozen plasma is plasma frozen within 8 hours in the United States. Cryoprecipitate is fresh frozen plasma precipitate when thawed at low temperatures. Platelets can be selectively removed while returning the rest of the blood to the donor via apheresis. Know that blood products can be irradiated. This prevents proliferation of donor T-cells in recipients. This is used for immunocompromised patients, first-degree relatives, HLA-matched products, and intrauterine transfusions. Also know that blood products can be leukodepleted via filtration to attain CMV negativity. Remember that leukocytes contain CMV, and this process is used for potential transplant recipients, neonates, AIDS patients, and seronegative pregnant women. Now, let's talk about packed red blood cells, platelets, fresh frozen plasma, cryoprecipitate, and complications from transfusion in a bit more detail. So starting with packed red blood cells, or PRBCs, the goal of packed red blood cell transfusion is to increase oxygen-carrying capacity. One unit of packed red blood cells should increase hemoglobin by 1 gram per deciliter or hematocrit by 3 to 4%. Indications include a hemoglobin of less than 7 grams per deciliter, however this may increase based on the presence of symptoms. The goal hemoglobin is between 7 and 10 grams per deciliter during active bleeding. There is a higher hemoglobin threshold, that is a hemoglobin of less than 10 grams per deciliter, for patients with uncontrolled bleeding, cardiovascular disease, like coronary artery disease, or diabetes, and there is growing evidence that a restrictive threshold of less than 7 grams per deciliters is okay. There is also a higher hemoglobin threshold in the setting of pulmonary disease, like COPD. Another indication for packed red blood cell transfusion is dilution of sickled hemoglobin in sickle cell disease patients. Finally, another indication for packed red blood cell transfusion is clinical suspicion of blood loss. Know that CBC will not demonstrate anemia in acute trauma. Now, let's talk about the difference between a type in screen and a type in cross. A type in screen determines blood group, RH status, and the presence of major-slash-minor autoantibodies, while a type in cross determines possible agglutination by mixing the recipient and the donor blood. Now, let's talk about the packed red blood cell options in order of preference. So first, after a type in screen, cross-matched blood is preferred but is not always available in emergencies. The next preference is after a type in cross, the donor blood of the same group slash RH status as the recipient. Finally, O-negative blood for all females of reproductive age and O-positive for all others. Moving on to platelets, the goal of platelet transfusion is to decrease the risk of bleeding. Remember that one unit of apheresis-derived platelets should increase platelets by approximately 50,000 per microliter. 
Indications for platelet transfusion include a platelet count of less than 10,000 per microliter for bleeding prophylaxis. This threshold increases to less than 20,000 per microliter in the presence of comorbidities including coagulopathy, for example sepsis and DSE, fever, or active bleeding. Higher levels are needed for therapeutic purposes, for example less than 50,000 per microliter for procedures associated with major blood loss, major surgery, or acute hemorrhage and less than 100,000 per microliter for procedures involving the central nervous system, or the eye. Another indication for platelet transfusion is patients with platelet dysfunction or on antiplatelet agents, and those that have active hemorrhage need platelet transfusion within the normal range. Relative contraindications for platelet transfusion include thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, post-transfusion purpura, and HELP syndrome associated with preeclampsia. Now let's talk about fresh frozen plasma, or FFP. The goal of FFP transfusion is to decrease the risk of bleeding due to coagulation factor deficiency. An initial dosing at 10 milliliters per kilogram should raise the factor levels by approximately 25%. PT and or PTT are checked 15 to 30 minutes after transfusion to adjust the dose as needed. Indications for FFP transfusion include a PT slash PTT of greater than 1.5 times the midpoint of normal in patients with the following conditions particularly if surgery is indicated and cannot be postponed. These conditions include liver disease and active bleeding, use of vitamin K antagonists like warfarin, sepsis, DIC, and TTP HUS, and dilutionary coagulopathy from a massive transfusion protocol. Another indication for FFP transfusion is replacement of coagulatory factors in the absence of specific concentrates. Moving on to cryoprecipitate, the goal of cryoprecipitate transfusion is to replace fibrinogen. Cryoprecipitate contains fibrinogen, von Willebrand's factor, factor 8, factor 13, and fibronectin. Know that one unit of cryoprecipitate should increase fibrinogen levels by 7 to 8 milligrams per deciliter. One unit of FFP has the equivalent of two units of cryoprecipitate, but at the cost of higher volume. Indications for cryoprecipitate transfusion includes fibrinogen of less than 80 to 100 milligrams per deciliter in massive hemorrhage, as well as replacement of factor 8 or von Willebrand's factor when factor 8 concentrate or humate, that is von Willebrand factor to factor 8 concentrate, is unavailable for factor 8 deficiency and for von Willebrand's disease. Now, let's end this review session talking about some complications of transfusion. The most common adverse reaction to blood transfusion is a febrile non-hemolytic transfusion reaction. The pathogenesis is secondary to generated and accumulated cytokines in stored blood components. These cytokines include interleukin-1, 6, 8, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. Know that leukocytes are the source of cytokines. The clinical presentation of febrile non-hemolytic transfusion reaction is fever and chills 1 to 6 hours after the transfusion. However, note that this is a benign condition. Management includes stopping the transfusion, antipyretics to control fever, and evaluating for other causes of fever. Prevention includes pre-storage leukoreduction. Now, let's talk about transfusion-related acute lung injury, or trolley, which is another potential complication of transfusion. The presentation is shortness of breath roughly 30 minutes after transfusion. The pathophysiology involves antibodies in the donor blood against the recipient leukocytes. The evaluation will show pulmonary edema that is seen on chest radiograph. And as far as treatment, know that this condition resolves spontaneously. Moving on to transfusion-associated circulatory overload, or TACO, The pathogenesis of this is rapid or large volume transfusions that overwhelm the cardiovascular system. The presentation is hypertension, dyspnea, edema, and jugular venous distension. The treatment is supportive therapy plus or minus diuretics. 
The most serious adverse reactions to blood transfusion include an acute hemolytic reaction. This is due to ABO incompatibility, presents with fever slash chills, and has a classic triad of fever, back pain, and red slash pink urine that is rarely seen. In this setting, stop the transfusion and obtain a sample for direct Coombs test. Another serious adverse reaction to blood transfusion is dilutional pancytopenia. This is secondary to infusions of red blood cells slash fluids that dilute the blood cells through plasma expansion and results in pancytopenia. Finally, another serious adverse reaction to blood transfusion is bacterial contamination of blood. Some other effects of transfusion to mention include minor blood group incompatibility. This can be due to Kell, Duffy, Lewis, or Kidd, and presents with jaundice and indirect bilirubinemia several days after transfusion. The patient is otherwise asymptomatic. Citrate toxicity is another potential effect, and know that citrate is an anticoagulant used in blood products. This chelates calcium and magnesium and is normally rapidly metabolized by the liver. Citrate toxicity may cause hypocalcemia and hypomagnesemia, which leads to paresthesias, cramping, hyperreflexia, etc. This is treated with IV calcium gluconate slash chloride. These patients may need magnesium. And of note, serum calcium may be normal, as it is the iodized calcium that is low. Another potential effect of transfusion is hyperkalemia, as red blood cells leak potassium during storage. Finally, coagulopathy is another potential effect of transfusion that may require transfusion of fresh frozen plasma and platelets. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 55-year-old woman is seen in the hospital for yellowing skin. She is otherwise asymptomatic. The patient has acute myeloid leukemia. She received a round of chemotherapy 10 days ago that included citarabine and danarubicin. Four days ago, she was given two units of red blood cells for a hemoglobin of 6.1 grams per deciliter. Her medications include omeprazole and voriconazole. The patient's temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 73 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 78 per minute. And respirations are 13 per minute. On examination, the patient is alert and oriented. She has jaundice and her sclerae are icteric. Labs are obtained and are as follows. Hemoglobin is 6.9 grams per deciliter. Leukocyte count is 440 cells per cubic millimeter with a normal differential. Platelet count is 100,000 per cubic millimeter. Total bilirubin is 17.6 milligrams per deciliter. And direct bilirubin is 0.5 milligrams per deciliter. Which of the following is the most likely cause of the patient's presentation? And the choices are 1. ABO incompatibility. 2. Citrate toxicity. 3. Cytokines from donated blood. 4. Dilutional pancytopenia. And 5. Duffy incompatibility. The correct answer to this question is 5. Duffy incompatibility. So this patient is presenting with jaundice and indirect bilirubinemia several days after a red blood cell transfusion with a smaller than expected increase in hemoglobin after transfusion. Incompatibilities of minor blood groups such as the Duffy antigen can result in delayed jaundice in an otherwise asymptomatic patient. To quickly review, transfusion reactions occur with transfusion of any blood product. One of the most serious adverse reactions is an acute hemolytic reaction from ABO incompatibility. Patients can also have less severe hemolytic reactions due to minor blood group incompatibility. Examples of minor blood groups include Kell, Duffy, Kidd, and Lewis. If a donor has a blood antigen that the recipient is negative for, the recipient will form antibodies to that antigen, and hemolysis will occur. These patients present with delayed jaundice several days after exposure, 
and the hemoglobin slash hematocrit will not increase much, as on average, hemoglobin increases 1 gram per deciliter per 1 unit of packed red blood cells. Patients will be otherwise asymptomatic. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, ABO incompatibility would present with fevers, chills, back pain, and red slash pink urine. Symptoms can occur within minutes of receiving a transfusion. It is due to antibodies the recipient forms against A or B blood group antigens. Answer 2. Citrate toxicity can occur with multiple transfusions. Citrate is an anticoagulant used in blood products. It chelates calcium and magnesium and can cause hypocalcemia and hypomagnesemia. This presents as paresthesias, cramping, and hyperreflexia. Answer 3. Cytokines from donated blood can result in a febrile non-hemolytic transfusion reaction. Patients will present with fevers and chills 1 to 6 hours after transfusion. And finally, answer 4. Dilutional pancytopenia can occur with multiple transfusions as these infusions can dilute blood cells through plasma expansion. This patient's pancytopenia is more likely due to her recent chemotherapy. Additionally, dilutional pancytopenia would not explain the patient's jaundice. To leave you with the bullet summary, minor group incompatibility, for example, Kell, Duffy, Lewis, or Kidd, presents with delayed jaundice and a minor increase in hemoglobin several days after exposure. And moving on to the final question. A 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department after a suicide attempt. The patient was found in his apartment by his grandson with wrist lacerations. He was rushed to the emergency department and was resuscitated en route. The patient has a past medical history of ischemic heart disease and depression. His pulse is barely palpable. He is not responding to questions coherently. His temperature is 98.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 107 over 48 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 160 per minute. Respirations are 14 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. The patient is started on blood products and his blood pressure improves to 127 over 55 millimeters of mercury after three units of blood. On physical exam, the patient complains of numbness surrounding his mouth and pain in the location of the lacerations of his wrists. Which of the following best describes one of the laboratory findings that could be seen in this patient? And the choices are 1. Hypercalcemia 2. Hyperkalemia 3. Hypomagnesemia 4. Increased free iron and 5. No lab abnormalities The correct answer to this question is 3. Hypomagnesemia so this patient is presenting with perioral numbness following a large transfusion suggestive of hypocalcemia secondary to citrate chelation. Another laboratory abnormality that is common with large transfusions is hypomagnesemia. Blood products contain citrate which can chelate both calcium and magnesium. Typically, the liver is able to metabolize citrate. However, in liver failure and in the setting of large transfusions, transfusion can lead to hypocalcemia and hypomagnesemia. Symptoms such as Trostec sign, which is tetany with stimulation of the facial nerve, and Trousseau sign, which is carpopetal spasm when taking blood pressure, are also present. Treatment involves correcting the underlying electrolyte abnormalities. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, hypercalcemia would present with altered mental status, dehydration, and fatigue. Hypocalcemia would be expected in the setting of a large transfusion. Answer 2, hyperkalemia could occur in hemolytic anemia where potassium is leaked from red blood cells. It can cause muscle weakness and cardiac abnormalities. Answer 4. Increased free iron would not necessarily be expected given that this patient already lost a large amount of blood prior to receiving a transfusion. And finally, answer 5. No lab abnormalities is not accurate as this patient is already demonstrating signs of hypocalcemia. 
To leave you with a bullet summary, transfused blood products contain citrate, which can bind calcium slash magnesium and lead to hypocalcemia and hypomagnesemia. That's all for this review about transfusion. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.